On today's show, there are 14 days left in the WNBA regular season. The playoffs are right around the corner, so let's break it all down. And it starts right now. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, everyone. It is Monday, August 1st. Happy Monday to all of you. I am Missy Heydrich, and I'm the National Women's Basketball, College Women's Basketball Correspondent at the Next. So happy to have you here. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Misty Hydric and be sure to follow the next at the next hoops and this podcast at Lockdown Women's Basketball. So we've got exactly 14 days left in the WNBA regular season. There is a battle brewing for those last three spots into the playoffs. We've got roster waiver deadline that happens today. And who's hot heading maybe into the playoffs as well as an MVP race that could come down to the wire. We've got it all right here on a Monday for you. And I am so happy to be joined by Tony East, one of the outstanding journalists that covers women's basketball at the next and beyond. And he also covers that Indiana fever beat and more. So, Tony, let's start with this. There were four games yesterday. You saw one in person in Indiana. This is a WNBA playoff race. We know five spots have been locked up. We'll talk about that in a moment. When we think about those last three, it's going to get interesting. Six games, 14 days. What does the next two weeks look like for everybody? (laughs) Everybody's fighting for something still, which is fun for every fan of the game, right? The top seed. I was watching the Aces this weekend. They played two games in Indiana. Still only separated by one game. Chicago and and Las Vegas are at the top, right? So they're fighting for that one seed, that home court throughout the entire postseason. So that matters. Connecticut, Seattle, Washington, they've also all clinched, and they're separated by one win right now. And like you said, at the bottom, five teams, six teams, really, in that mix for those last three spots, which makes this so fascinating for every team. And every game for the last two weeks is going to matter. Like, there, there is no... The Fever can't make the postseason or sneak into that mix. So I suppose their 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 wins don't matter, but they're going to be playing a team fighting for something every game for the rest of the season. So every single game, every single little thing that's going to happen in these last two weeks is is mega important. Every little injury is going to matter. Like you said at the beginning, the waiver deadline is going to matter. How these teams cut through all this and stay focused. Basically, if you look at it from the perspective of everyone being this important, the playoffs kind of start right now for a lot of these teams. So it'll be interesting to see how these last two weeks shake out and who can rise to the occasion. Okay, let's talk about that waiver deadline because it comes up 5 p.m. Eastern today, August 1st. It is the play the player playoff eligibility from waivers deadline. So this allows teams to be able to figure out if they need to make a roster move. Uh, we know that there's been some injuries that have come into play for some people late. So what does that waiver deadline look like? We think we're going to see a lot of movement over the course of today. And really, how big of an impact does that have then as we head down these last two weeks for the regular season? Yeah, it just depends on a lot of team needs because there's a lot of these players that have been out there since you know the contract guarantee deadline have been doing the seven-day contract dance or getting on these teams on hardship deals. So a lot of teams have had to 
you know, put it off or have been dancing around whatever the rules allow them to do until this point. So a lot of the players that would be out there that would have a substantial impact are either already on a team or on in a seven-day setting at this time. There's a few out there, like Jasmine Jones was with Connecticut for a few seven days. She's currently not on a team. She could be one that, that sneaks in, former Louisville wing, uh, who played with the Liberty last year. That, that sneaks onto one of these rosters. She was fine with Connecticut, but they chose to join her homes and Bria Hartley over her for roster spots at the time. Uh, which makes a lot of sense, but you know she's still out there. Uh, Kennedy Burke's still out there. She was one of the ones who was moved on from by Washington at that um, guaranteed deadline earlier this season. They still have not brought her back. No one, I don't think, has brought her in uh, since she was waived by Washington. So there's a couple players that are still out there that that could be added. I guess Liz Cambage is technically a free agent. I'm not thinking she's going to to sign with the team today, but uh, there are some impact players who, in theory, could. You know, maybe tip the scales ever so slightly or be in a team's rotation for these last two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And I know Atlanta, they were one of the teams over the last couple of days as we got forward through that end of last week. You know, they had the injury to A.D. Dewar. She had been a player that had just come on with them, hasn't necessarily put in a ton of time, but out with injury for the rest of the season. So I guess my question is to you, as you look at these rosters, especially those teams maybe at that top point, even the ones that are in that battle, which we'll talk about in a minute, is, you know, do you sit on pins and needles with an injury issue and think, okay, what happens next? You know, do I, do you take a flyer somewhere? Do we have to make sure we've got somebody just in case? Is that movement going to happen or do we just settle in on these rosters and then you hope for the best? I think a lot of them will be settled in just because of this, how the salary cap has impacted this season. A lot of these teams near the top, a lot of these teams in the mix have been flirting with the line all season long, you know, Minnesota and and Phoenix have even had to get kind of exceptions to the CBA to field the team at times this season to meet the compliance requirements for the number of players on a roster with how tight the salary cap is and how many players are on these rosters. My alarm is telling me to talk more about uh, the, the roster deadline uh, as this approaches. So, you know, the, there's like like the Aces need depth, of course. You know, that's been talked about all season. Their starting five is unbelievable, but they don't have they would sign depth that they could do it. They just can't. That's the, the rules don't necessarily allow them to do so. So. You know, I think Atlanta would have a hardship spot because of Dura that a lot would allow them to bring someone else in. The Sparks just made a move uh, after they moved on from Liz earlier this week, bringing in uh, Kiana Smith. So, like, there are some spots out there on some of these teams, uh, but I think the, the, the salary cap is going to dictate that maybe Connecticut could get a hardship player in for Hartley this week. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lot of action today uh, as this deadline approaches. Well, and it's one of those, as you said, it's kind of, it could be quiet today, but you would think that this has maybe got to be something that is another part of that long-term conversation about the league, because it does go back to those salary cap issues and where teams have to figure this out. So when they start thinking about the long-term of the entire season, you set those cap scenarios and all of that happens at the start. But when you get to August, people, sometimes they just need more, they need more help. They need more ability to make those moves. And that I, I feel like this is going to be a topic of conversation that comes up over the course of the next few months once the season is over. Definitely. The 11-player requirement and the hard and fast, you cannot exceed this number salary cap, have been butting heads for a couple teams this season. And with so many unique situations going on, with some teams up against the guaranteed contract total limit, you know they can't reach all of the required numbers, no. 11 players under this number with the you – know, with all these other parameters in place to feel a team. And I think those are things that the WNBA has realized those rules are, are a little too stringent. And that's why, you know, Minnesota, for example, was, was able to get around. It sounds wrong because they're meeting the rules laid out for them by 
by the league when they brought in Lindsay Allen. So get around it is wrong, but they, they were able to add Lindsay Allen despite not technically having what the league would consider the resources to do so. Yeah, you got to be creative. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. And, and you know, is the queen of that, right? Yeah, and hats off, hats off to you know coaches and general managers figuring this out. If the leadership of your of your franchise is that's what you want to do, then you've got to be able to find an answer. But I figure it's going to be a topic of conversation in the off season for the W. All right, let's talk about the team that you saw in person over the course of the last couple games, the the Las Vegas Aces. They're coming off that Commissioner Cup win. They are in Indiana. They're on the road. They're taking care of business. They get a huge win, 94-69 yesterday. You said it. This is a team that is loaded at the top, not a ton of depth at the bottom. My question to you is this. You see them in person all season. Can this team be that loaded at the top and really make a run for the WNBA title? On one hand, I'm inclined to say that you know, the, the fact that they're, they're starting five in particular is probably the best five-man unit in the league right now. That makes me really believe in them in a playoff setting because, in theory, the goal should be to shorten your bench in a postseason setting, right? You would like to play your five best players as often as possible. And if, if that is the situations that, that the playoffs allow Las Vegas to do, if they're rolling with that unit and they're up and they don't need to rely on their bench that much, then I think they'll be set up really well. I mean, I saw Kelsey Plum score 19 points in a quarter. You know, Asia Wilson can do that at the drop of a hat. Chelsea Gray threw a behind-the-back inbounds pass. I think that clip has gone viral already, so I'm not spoiling anything from that game. You know, they, they just they have so much pizzazz and connectivity and and weapons with that unit that, like, like Derek Hamby sometimes is their fifth option. <laughs> you know, that, that, that lineup is just absolutely loaded to the point that if they don't they could not need to rely on their bench. That group could keep them ahead by so much that it doesn't end up mattering. So where I think it could matter is a team with a really, really strong second unit that can really punish the Aces second unit could really tip the scales in a series. And I think that's why, you know, some people are hesitant to call the Aces the favorites. And Chicago has been unbelievable the last month or so of the season. But uh, when I watch Las Vegas and, the, and especially that starting five that they have, you know, I, it's hard for me to see a team beating them in a series just because that unit is so good and, when rotations get shortened in the playoffs and you're really reliant on your best players, I think they have the best five-man lineup when it comes to that. Well, and we know that during the regular season, there's a lot of conversation. We hear about load management all the time. I think Becky Hammond has done a great job all season of being able to to utilize that concept with that uh, that first five, utilize some of that shorter bench, get people in that rotation. But when you do shorten it, you just sometimes you've got to go straight to – the stars and the people that brung you there. And I think that's going to be that starting five. Okay. We're going to talk just a moment more about the playoff picture. It's coming into form. We've got two weeks left, but first, if you have not tried the built bar puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest choice. So on a Monday, the first of August, guess what? There's a new flavor for everybody. You've got to indulge in cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. So let us introduce you to your new favorite is the cookie dough chunks puffs have a light and chewy texture. They're real cookie dough. And of course, covered in 100% chocolate, which sounds fantastic right now. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus it is healthy for you. 160 calories and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. So run to built.com to snag a box for you and the family, and it will be the perfect treat. Or you can find a really good hiding place and just hoard them for yourself. I have done that at my house before. Like all Built Bar, the new cookie dough chunk puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. That means they're healthy and tasty. Chocolate-covered cookie dough with a light, fluffy texture. It is really good. 
What's great about Built is that their bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. You're going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That is all caps. Use the promo LOCKED15. Hi, everybody. It is Missy Heydrich, and thank you so much for, much for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. I am here with Tony East, and Tony, let's talk some more about this playoff picture. So for everybody out there to give them the lay of the land, eight teams are making the playoffs. The first round is the best of three. The next two rounds after that will be best of five series. We know that the Sky, the Aces, Connecticut Sun, the Seattle Storm, the Mystics, they've locked those playoff spots. Now, there's a lot of people in there. They are jockeying for six, seven, and eight. But it seems to me that there's a lot of opportunity for movement, but yet it's kind of that old adage that everybody controls their own destiny. And if you were going to take Dallas, Phoenix, and LA, who sit there, the Dream sit at number nine, who I think has probably been one of maybe the bright spots and one of the bigger surprises this season for a lot of people. Um, It's really kind of hard to see right now with – five to six games left in two weeks who really does finish in those last three spots. Yeah. There's no one that really stands out to me as like that. This team will make it clearly a rising above the other five. Now, let me tell you something interesting, Missy, and that is the New York Liberty schedule. The most interesting thing in the WNBA to me over the last two weeks, they play six more games. The Liberty, like you just said, currently sit 11th outside the playoff picture. However, the eight spot only has 12 wins. They have 11 wins, right? So they're one win shy. Their last six games, they played the Sparks, the Sparks, the Mercury, the Wings, the Wings, and the Dream for those six games. All teams right in that mix. So it seems like the Liberty are are, are down, you know, because they're in the last spot. They're the only team without 12 wins right now. But they have, they, like you said, a lot of these teams control their own destiny because they play other teams in this mix or every single game is going to be so massive. It's so fascinating to me to look at their schedule and go, holy cow, every single game they could win and move into a playoff spot. They beat the Sparks twice in a row this week. They're in. There you go. They're suddenly in. They're not locked in, but they're like sitting in playoff position all of a sudden. You know, they could catch the Wings or Phoenix super easily. They play the Wings twice in Dallas. So they have such a fascinating schedule to me in this mix down the stretch. And all these teams play each other to some extent or play one of these teams down the stretch, which will be interesting to me to see how it shakes out, you know, and some of these teams, you know, obviously down at Tarasi and Phoenix can be a threat at any time. Uh, the Sparks and NECA obviously look amazing. Ryan Howard's been awesome for the dream. Like all these teams have someone who can rise up at any game and be awesome for them. And that's why, you know, every game is going to be so fascinating to me because there's going to be so many like this that, that make it interesting. And I really have a hard time just saying, yep, I think this team will clearly be better than any of the other five. Well, and I think what's interesting is, like you said, they're all in that same – I mean, they're all really heading into games tomorrow with that same – well, the records. I mean, the records are all about the same. You've got Dallas 6 at 13 and 16, Phoenix at 13 and 17, Sparks 12. You know, I mean, everybody's right in that same mix. So then there's that magic little formula if you start going down the rabbit hole and you start digging a bit into how they're going to look at things like the tiebreaker procedures – and if that is ever going to come into play. So if you've got a two-way tie between teams, and in order to break a tie, they're going to use criteria based on a record in head-to-head games. So if anybody's going to play each other in these next two in these next two weeks, that head-to-head matchup is going to be incredibly important. 
better winning percentage against teams with a 500 or better record at the end of the season. So then they also want to, you know, it's going to come into play. How did you compete with the upper echelon of the league? That all is going to be a big part of this. I just wonder, does a team like the Sparks, does a team like the Lynx with a lot of movement and a lot of opportunities, do they even get a sniff of this playoff picture? And if not, are they just going to be the spoilers? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. It's, the Lynx are so interesting in this to me, too, because for the first two months, they were in the cellar of the W. You know, the, the Fever even had a better record than them, I think, at the end of May. The Fever beat the Lynx twice this season. I think Minnesota and Ray will be kicking themselves about that if they end up right. missing by a game when it comes to it because they've been really the best. I mean, uh, if you just look at the last 10 games specifically, which is not the best way to look at a team, but you know they have the best record of any teams of these six that we're talking about still fighting for a spot. Like they have finally clicked as a team a little bit this late in the season, but they gave up a lot of ground early in the year. And that's why a lot of these tiebreakers, like you say, or a lot of these little things are going to matter a lot for them because they, they're making up ground in a way that a lot of other teams aren't, even though they have someone like Fowles in her final season. And they have best of three, so it's not just like they get there and then it's all yeah. over and one. You know, you have right. a shot if you make it into this postseason setting. Uh, they they will be really fascinating to me to see. Are they really playing spoiler? Or are they one of the best of these six teams because they've been playing so much better, whereas the Sparks obviously you know, just lost Liz and their team could implode at any moment, it feels like. Uh, you know, how, how do they get in there? Even though they have NECA, they could beat anybody on any, on any night. You know, they've been four and six in their last 10 games, currently on a three-game losing streak. You know, they they also, I agree with you, seem like a team that could be fighting to play spoilers and make it in instead of being, you know, leading the pack like it seems like Dallas, for example, currently is doing. Yeah. All right. So we know we've talked about the Aces. Uh, the Sky sitting number one as of today with these two weeks left in the regular season at the top of the league. Candace Parker, she's been out for a couple games, non-COVID, whether or not that's a load, a load management issue, how they're trying to prepare for the playoffs themselves. But it seems as though, you know, you've got teams like Connecticut, Seattle, Washington, who have all clinched those playoff spots. They've got marquee players on their teams, marquee players on their rosters that can lead their teams, that can have huge nights. But then again, if they're off and or not necessarily up to par, that makes them maybe a little bit more pedestrian. So if I was going to look at somebody like the Mystics, where you've got Elena Deladon, who's only played 20 games so far this season, but then someone like Ariel Atkins, who's played 30, the thought process is, can they survive in the playoffs if they are not at full strength and 100%? Yeah, that, that that I'm sure they're asking themselves that to some extent, <laughs> as they sit at 19 and 12. The, the best thing going for the Mystics in the race into the playoffs is they play the Fever twice to close out the season. It's actually their last two games with three days to go in the season. So they'll kind of know what they need to do, most right. likely going into that weekend. But they have a good opportunity to move up if they can take care of business. Yeah, that's something they'll have to, to deal with. One is, can they play them every game? You know, EDD just played, I think, a back-to-back for the first time in years, like this week, yeah. right? Like that, that is unusual for her, given her career arc and injury arc. And the Mystics have struggled offensively this season. I think they're seventh or eighth in offensive rating in the league. And sometimes it hasn't really mattered because their defense is so good that they, they can win anyway. But when, like you said, when you, when you need to rely on your star to get it done, sometimes it's easier to do that on offense when you have more control over the outcome of the possession than the defense where you can play great defense. Either team still scores. So, you know, perhaps that the Mystics would be a team that, 
you know, are a little more wobbly in that sort of environment, in that setting, but they do have, you know, an opportunity to move up and really iron things out before the postseason. And the fact that EDD hasn't played in every game maybe gives them some confidence that if they do, if they are healthy and they, they can have their whole team in the postseason, they could still be a threat and make some noise. Again, their defense is in the top of the league. Like that matters a lot when these postseason games come. Yeah, you've got to be able to defend, no doubt about it. And especially when you have to go on the road. If you're not playing at home, you don't have a lot of things going for you. You've got to be able to get people stopped in order to keep yourself in a ball game. I look at the Seattle team, Tony, and I think one, you know, you wonder, it's a lot of big names that sit on that roster, right? Some of the biggest in the WNBA. And they are coming up on the retirement of Sue Bird and what that is going to look like for their organization. But when you've got that type of big name and you've got a Brianna Stewart that leads the way and all of the others on that roster, is this team sitting in fourth, still over 500, 19 and 12? Is this one of those where people are kind of scratching their heads and saying, eh, sort of a disappointment? We're going to be in the playoffs. And do you just say, to heck with it, we're in the playoffs, let's make the run? Yeah, they currently sit in fourth. And like I like the Mystics, like I said, play the Fever twice. And, uh, you know, the Sun are, are a game ahead of them and are the only team top three in both offense and defense. Like it could be hard for them to move up in a postseason setting into the top three firmly unless they really find their stride. They lost uh, to the Mystics, I believe, last night, two nights ago. I should know that. Um, either way, you know, they are really fascinating to me because yeah. I agree with you that it seems like they should have a little bit better of a record given the names on their team, and they, they're still really talented. But on the flip side, who wants to play Seattle <laughs> in the in the no. postseason? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they still have Stewie on their team. You know, no one is going to want to play that team in any sort of series in a postseason setting. So, well, there right. are some, some certainly some some warts with that team, and they, they've had a lot of nights where they look unimpressive, even when you know, Stewie just was ridiculous in that Mystics game that just happened. Nine for 12 from the field, 23 points, and they still couldn't get the win. But you have to imagine when the postseason comes again and some of these rotations are a little tighter, that they will be good. And, and they, we know they have playoff pedigree champions two years ago uh, in the bubble season. Like they, they could do it at any time, and I don't think anyone wants to play them, even though I agree with you that – it's been slightly disappointing. That's it. That seems like the wrong word. You know, like I, I underwhelming maybe is, is what Absolutely. I want here yes. <laughs> because they, they can beat anybody at any time. And yet they still sit in fourth with a chance to drop to fifth with just two weeks to go. Yeah. But I'm with you. I don't know if I necessarily want to see them on my side of the bracket or in a matchup. I just don't know if that's necessarily the one that I would want. And if you got to go on the road, you know, if this comes down to a game three or you get them in the semis and you're in a five game series, I don't want to be on the road. I don't want to have to go to Seattle. I think that could be a heck of an environment. All right. Stay tuned here in just a moment. We are going to stay who stays hot for that league MVP race in 2022. And also we've got to talk a little bit about the fever and just check in as this season winds down. Hi, everybody. It's Missy Heidrich. Welcome. And thank you for joining us here on Locked on Women's Basketball. You can find me on Twitter. You can find my fabulous co-host here today, Tony East on Twitter as well. Tony, let's talk a little bit about your beat. Let's talk about the fever. This has been a team they have retooled, rehauled. You can use whatever term people want to use. It is a rookie class that has started to really come into their own, that has made a mark in this league so far this season. They're not going to be in the playoffs. They're going to probably finish last in the league this season. But as you think about these last two weeks and then sort of the trajectory of this franchise and this roster, what what's important? What do you want to see happen? What do you think is important for Indiana in these last two weeks of the regular season? 
they've been sort of gifted a lucky opportunity in that, you know, Kelsey Mitchell has this awful plantar fascia issue in her left foot right now. Uh, yeah. It's precautionary, they've said, uh, that, that you know, not entirely precautionary. She would need to, to, to heal and, and things like that. But some of her sitting is precautionary. Either way, that is an opportunity for young players to now play more. Destiny Henderson in the first game without Kelsey Mitchell played her season high in minutes. Lexi Hall got big minutes. You know, they were able to shake up their rotation in a way that let them get some of those young players on the floor. And I think that's sort of emblematic of what their last two weeks should look like. And that is how many, not entirely, you still have some bets you want to play, but how many minutes can we get our young players in the game for these last couple games to to give them that time together, to give them that confidence boost, to give them more reps, because a lot of them have been waiting for more opportunities with you know, Danielle Robinson, Kelsey Mitchell, Tiffany Mitchell, Victoria Vivian's playing so much. They haven't been able to get out there as much as I don't, I think the fewer would like at times. And so having a new hole created by losing a veteran allows them to really focus and own in on development. They've locked up the top lottery odds in this draft, and I guess they can help themselves a little bit for next year's draft if they don't win again. But I think they would like to get another win, at least match their win total from last season, even though they're clearly a younger team, a worse team with more rookies and more development. So they're in a very interesting spot where they clearly have a better foundation set for the future than they have basically in the last four seasons and things like that. But they're also just not a very good team. So I think these last two weeks will be about development, about getting those young players, the reps out there, and and especially I think playing a lot of these younger players together, giving them reps at the same time because those players should be on the team long-term, most of them at least, and I think giving them that time and having that opportunity will be key for Carlos Knox and his squad. Well, and it kind of goes back to a couple things we were talking about earlier, which is when you start looking at the, the, the required number of people on your roster, you start talking about salary caps. Those are also things for teams that are trying to build with young players, knowing, like you said, that you lock up that lottery but when you put into some of play those other things, they've got to have some flexibility. They're going to need, you know, if there's people on the block that they want to be able to go out and get, that's going to help them in the future. And so I think some of these organizations and front office folks have got, you know, they want that flexibility. When does that come into play? How are they going to get it? That seems to be maybe one of the sticking points. And I think it's going to be part of the conversation for the next few months after the season is over. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm not going to say that they're, they should be connected to this player or that they have any interest in this player. But, like, you know, if you're the Fever and you just had two seasons where you combined for 11 wins and then Indiana native Skylar Diggins-Smith has been, you know, reportedly available for forever and ever, you, you, you think about it, right? You have to think about it. Yes, so I'm not suge- yes. Yeah. I'm not suggesting they do that or anything. I'm not reporting that that has even been something considered. In fact, Carlos Knox said during the season they hadn't talked about it as a team. Right. But, you know, that sort of thing, like you talk about the flexibility, is an option for them if they – really know, have clarity on which young players are important to them, on their salary cap situation, on you know what their roster will look like going forward. And they have an opportunity to iron that stuff out, even with two weeks left in the waiver deadline passing tomorrow. Uh, and they know what their team is. I think that, that all that information is valuable heading into the offseason. So it yeah. all matters and it all plays a part, even when you only have five wins. Absolutely. And I would say any team that doesn't make the playoffs, you're going to spend that time being very strategic and start thinking about what we want to do, where we go, what this looks like. And utilizing not only those draft picks, but get out, do a little bit of shopping, so to speak, and see what might be out there, because I think that can be a huge benefit for them. Okay, so I know you were in game yesterday and rumor has it through the grapevine that you were part of some sort of in game in-game entertainment. That's right. That's right. So you have to tell everybody at Locked On, I, I was told it was a deal or no deal concept. 
So you have to give us a lowdown. <laughs> that is that is funny. I did not know we were going to be talking about that today. I loved that show as a kid. Um, my mom and I would watch it like every week. Uh, yeah. It got frustrating when they would they upped the value of the cases, right? The, they had the same standard values for years, and they were doing these shows where they'd put like a $6 million case in there. And then obviously the expected value of what you win goes way up, and the banker would offer huge money, and they would always say it's the biggest prize ever. And I'm like, well, yeah, they, they have bigger cases. Anyway, I watched it all the time as a kid, and then in college, the only channel my, my roommates and I paid for on our cable package was Game Show Networks. So we could watch <laughs> game shows, including Deal or No Deal. So the backstory is that I love it. I watched it for forever and ever. And the Pacers and Fever, uh, as part of their in-stadium entertainment, have done Deal or No Deal only with four cases. It's super quick. It's a 50, 100, 250, and 500. Uh, so that it's just you pick one, you eliminate two, and then they give you an offer. It's really fast. They do it during a commercial break. But I loved it. I would always live tweet it to see what decisions people made because they have no money going into it. They're basically being handed money. And I love the charity ones as well because it's for a good cause, of course. So I always would, would tweet about them and, and talk to people who work for the team about like how it's it's my favorite thing and the, of the in-stadium entertainment. And they said, hey, do you want to do it for charity? And I I couldn't believe they were asking me to do it. Uh, and I was thrilled that it was for a charity opportunity. They did a, a food drive with the Atlanta Dream earlier this season when they were uh, in Indianapolis. So I, I chose Gleaners where they where they did that uh, earlier in May. And it was really fun. I got to go out on the court and pick the cases. And I always track like what's in what case to see what the best expected values were. So I knew what I was picking when I got out there, which is yeah. really dorky. But I had the whole game planned out. And it went very well. So uh, thank you to the fever for letting me do that. And I'll have a story on that at the next about the background and what it was like to be on the court looking at the cases for the first time. That is so awesome. I love it. I love it. Okay. So we're going to go deal or no deal as, and we start talking value. Um, <laughs> two weeks left MVP race. And there's a lot of conversation uh, as everybody, I don't think anybody is necessarily ready to pick a huge front runner. I think people, some people have one, some people don't. I'm not going to make you make your deal or no deal decision today. But my question to you is this. You've seen all of these teams. You've seen these players in person. You see them come there to Indiana. Do team results in the long run, how a team finishes, is that going to impact this race more maybe this season than it has in the past? I think so, yes. You know, like if the Aces are able to overtake the sky – and get the one seed. I think Asia Wilson is going to have that on her resume in a way that no one else can. And not that not, the sky have a ton of awesome players. None of them are in the MVP mix, right? So them getting the one seed isn't necessarily changing anything there. Whereas, you know, with the storm and the eight, I'm talking about Stewie and Asia. I think those are the two players that most would consider the top two of the ballot at this point of the season. You know, if the Aces stay in the second spot and maybe the storm close strong and get up to three, or they're, they're only a game or two apart, then that matters less to people. Uh, but if they could be separated by as many as four or five games at the end of this and the Aces are at the top of the standings, I think Asia Wilson's going to get a nice bump in consideration for that, which will matter a lot when it is so close. You know, I, I, We did our midseason MVP poll at the next, and it was very close between those two players. And I, I, I don't see anything that has massively separated them since that that, that happened. And their records are still only uh, two and a half, three games apart at this stage. So. Uh, yeah, it could be something where if the Aces get to the one seed, that's enough to push Asia over the top. Or if the Storm close really strong and close that gap, that gives Stewie lead. Uh, maybe someone else sneaks into this conversation down the stretch. I'd be surprised if anyone overtook them. Um, but, you know, I think it definitely is going to matter what seed teams are and how they're able to close out the season. 
no, I think you're absolutely right. And it is, it's kind of that deal or no deal at this point, right? That we've got two weeks and everybody's got to lay it out on the line and there's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of pushing and shoving, jockeying for those last three spots. And I think it's going to make for some really great games. As you said, you can't, a team can't play Indiana. You can't play some of these teams, others that control their destiny, whether it's Minnesota or LA, it doesn't matter. You don't have any room to stub your toe. People have got to take care of their business. They've got two weeks, five to six games, and that's really going to dictate what happens next. Yep. I, I, every game, will like the daily briefing on the next, should have a, a fun like tracker of how separated the teams yes. six, through, six through 11 are for the last two weeks because every game is going to dr- dramatically change. There's a chance. I mean, I bet it's possible. I, I don't want to map it out because it would be a massive waste of my time, but I bet there's a, a way that the three teams that hold those last three spots can change every single day for the for the last two weeks. Or, well, games that days that games are played. Uh, every day for the last two weeks of the season. I bet that's a possibility, given how the schedule is and given that there's so many teams in the mix that they'll be playing each other on every game day. It's going to be yeah. so interesting to see how it shakes out. It really is. And it's going to be really fun when we finally get to that eight and then they start and we see the playoffs or everybody out there. You know the regular season is going to end on the 14th. And the playoffs officially start on August 17th. Tony, thank you so much, my friend. You can, where does everybody find you when you're not only tweeting at games, but every other day and every other hour in between? At the next is, of course, the place to go for all the fever coverage. A story about Kelsey Mitchell's injury should be up pretty soon. And the dealer, no deal one. Plus, uh, you know, they've been talking about trying to bag as many wins as they can down the stretch. They're playing in their third home stadium of the season. There's a lot going on with the Indiana Fever right now. That'll be on the next. And yes, I babble on Twitter way too often uh, at T East NBA if you're interested in my thoughts about the Fever as games are happening. Although I need to tweet less. I think, I think Twitter <laughs> is bad for me. <laughs> it can't, it's a rabbit hole, man. We could all go down it. It doesn't That's matter. Right. You just go and go and go. It happens to everybody. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for listening and for watching. You can find me, Missy Hydrick, on Twitter at Missy Hydrick and all of my amazing colleagues and friends at Lockdown Women's Basketball, and follow us at The Next Hoops as well for everything that you need. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Please join us all week for more episodes right here, all the latest news, notes, insights, game breakdowns, breaking news. It'll all be at The Next and right here on Lockdown Women's Basketball for the remainder of the WNBA regular season, and the playoffs are just around the corner. For your second listen, get up to date on the latest news and rumors in the NBA in just 30 minutes every day with Locked On NBA. Locked On NBA is your daily NBA update in just 30 minutes. Thank you, everybody. I am Missy Heydrich. We will see you next time right here on Locked On Women's Basketball.